was a very, very dramatic. It wasn't a patient. Um, it was one of the nurses, and it was a very dramatic uh, call for help. Uh, she had, I, if I remember right, she had a patient that had either fallen or was falling, and um, she realized quickly that she was in a situation that she could not handle by herself, and she needed help. She needed rescuing. Do you know what it feels like to need rescuing? To be in that point, uh, at that point where you can't really do anything for yourself, you can only simply say, help, I need help. We're talking this Advent season about the coming of the Holy One, and today is the third Sunday of Advent, and depending on the sources that you look at, you will find... Some sources say that the Advent theme for the third Sunday of Advent is salvation. Messiah brings salvation. That's what you find actually in our hymn book under the reading for the third Sunday of Advent. That's what we started our service out with. Other sources say that the theme for the third Sunday of Advent is joy. And... I think those two make a really good combination, don't you? S both salvation and joy. In fact, what joy there is in salvation. Amen? What wonderful joy to think about what could have happened at the point of our need and then to realize that intervention or rescue came at just the right moment, and we were saved. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I, oh, I got really, really scared I, uh, a couple days ago, or a week or so ago. I don't even think I've told my wife about this yet. Just not the right opportunity. But I almost ran over somebody. Uh, just, or it felt like I did. It wasn't that close. Uh, but it was close enough to where it really scared me, scared the people that I almost ran over. And um, I was just thanking the Lord uh, that uh, I was able to see in time and stop my vehicle. And uh, I'm sure, I don't know who those other people were thanking, uh, but uh, I rolled my window down quickly and was profusely apologizing, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Um, and as I was driving down the road after that took place, I was thinking about what could have happened, what might have happened. And oh, it just made me so much more grateful to realize that uh, the, the potential that was there for danger, that it was not fulfilled. To think about intervention when we need rescuing, when we need saving, what relief there is at first that, you know, the, 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 adre the adrenaline starts pumping and, and then when you realize that the danger is past and there's a big oh, sigh of relief and your heart is pounding and then there's just, Gratitude, gratitude, the joy of salvation. I'm taking for my scripture lesson this morning one of my favorite passages of scripture, Isaiah chapter 12. I'll invite you to turn there 
And uh, also just to mention that uh, I'll be referencing a couple of different passages of Scripture in a few different places in our Bibles, Uh, but we'll begin with Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's bow our hearts for just a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful joy we have in the possibility of salvation and that you came at Christmas time to enrobe yourself in flesh and blood, to live the human life, and then ultimately to take the judgment that we deserve upon yourself in your body and to bear that to the cross. And Lord, we're so grateful now that we can be saved. We ask that you, your will would be done in the furtherance of this service. Help us to walk in obedience, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may notice that there are a couple of times in Isaiah chapter 12 where there is a phrase that repeats itself. In that day, at the very beginning, verse, uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, you will say, in that day, I will give thanks to you. Again, it repeats itself in verse 4, and you will say, in that day, give thanks One key to understanding this phrase uh, is to think about another phrase that you may have heard, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Anytime you read the day of the Lord, it is referring to a, a particular day or a span of time during which God personally intervenes in history, either directly or indirectly, to accomplish some specific aspect of his plan. It seems that this phrase, the day or the day of the Lord, can trace itself back to Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 15, we find what is known as the Song of Moses. In fact, if you look at uh, Exodus 15, you may find a familiar phrase there that we just read in Isaiah 12. Exodus 15 verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Isaiah uses those very words in Isaiah chapter 12, and actually those words are used in other places in Scripture as well. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Think about what was happening just prior to Exodus chapter 15. You all know the story of the Exodus, how God called Moses to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage. 
and uh, through the long process of the plagues coming upon the Egyptians and then the loss of the firstborn, the final plague, Pharaoh was finally convinced to allow Moses to let uh, the children of Israel go, to let them leave. And as they were on their way out, Uh, The scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and he again changed his mind and said, what have I done? I've lost all of my, my labor force. And so he decided to pursue the children of Israel with his armies and his chariots and the horses. And it wasn't long before the Israelites found themselves trapped between uh, the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh and his armies behind them. And the people said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the wilderness to die? We were better off there. You should have left us alone. But God promised intervention. He promised salvation. And through Moses, he spoke to the people and said, the Egyptians that you see today pursuing you after this day is over, you will see them no more forever. He's going to provide salvation. And you know how that story happens, how it works itself out. God uh, caused a path to be opened through the waters of the Red Sea. And the Israelites marched through on dry ground. And as the Egyptian army pursued them, their chariot wheels got mired down in the muck and the mud. And uh, I'm not sure how it was dry for the Israelites, but muddy. Uh, for the Egyptians, but God could do that if he wanted to, couldn't he? Amen. But God was at work on behalf of his people, providing salvation for them. And chapter 14, verse 30 of the book of Exodus says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And then Moses sings his song in Exodus chapter 15 and rejoices. It is a joyous celebration, jubilant, because they have, and I don't know, you can only imagine the fear that must have been in their hearts as they, I'm sure we're certain, there was nowhere for them to go, uh, proverbially uh, proverbially between a rock and a hard place, between uh, the Red Sea in front and Pharaoh's armies in back of them. Nowhere to turn. But God intervened and provided salvation in a way that none of them could have imagined. And it resulted in this joyous celebration, a triumph of God's power. Look at the song uh, that Moses sings. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And you can read on down there in your own time. Uh, But they are celebrating their remembrance of God's power, their remembrance of God's love and the salvation that he provided for his people. And Israel as a nation would perpetually look back to this day, to this time, because you see what became the celebration of Passover was a celebration not just of the day that the death angel came through and, and uh, when it saw the blood applied to, uh, to the lintel and the doorpost passed over those homes where they had killed the sacrificial lamb. But it became a celebration of all of the work that God had done in bringing them out of Egypt's bondage. 
and they would look back on that day and celebrate the salvation that God provided for them. And similarly, whenever they needed rescue, whenever they needed intervention from God, they would look back at that day and pray for another day of the Lord like that day when God brought them out of Egypt. But if we continue in our Old Testaments, we find that the picture of the day of the Lord turned out to be not always everything that the Israelites hoped for. If we look to the book of Amos, the prophet Amos, you'll find that a little later on. Amos is the first of the 12 minor prophets. And uh, in your Bible, uh, if you look at, uh, oh, you, you find Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. There, there are a bunch of little books tucked in there that are hard to find. Um, Amos is the first of the, uh, of the writing prophets. He was actually... Uh, a, a, a contemporary, an older contemporary uh, of the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Amos had a disappointing surprise to share with the children of Israel. Have you ever been disappointed by a surprise? Uh, m- we tend to think of surprises as good. You hear somebody say, I've got a surprise for you. And we think, oh, it's, you know, exciting, and you wonder what's, what, it's, what is it going to be? Is it going to be something good, or is it going to be something bad? I, I was telling my wife, I read a story uh, not too long ago uh, about a woman that kept dreaming that she was receiving extravagant gifts from her husband. And uh, she woke up one morning and said to her husband, honey, I dreamed that you you brought me a, you bought me a beautiful new dress. She said, what do you, what do you think it means? And he said, well, I, I don't know, but Valentine's Day is not very far away. Maybe you should wait until then. And another night or so passed, and, and she woke up in the morning and again told her husband, honey, I dreamed last night that you bought me a new fur coat. What do you think it means? Well, I don't know, but Valentine's Day is not too far away. Maybe you should wait until then. Maybe you'll find out. And a couple nights passed, and again she came to her husband and said, Honey, last night I dreamed you bought me a new car. What do you think it means? Well, Valentine's Day is coming. Maybe you should wait just another day. And she was, at, by that point, just so beyond excited. Valentine's Day came, and, and uh, her husband gave her a little nicely wrapped package. And I'm sure she was a little confused. And upon opening the package, um, she saw that what he had given her was a book entitled The Meaning of Dreams. A disappointing surprise. <laughs> she was expecting a surprise. <laughs> it wasn't quite what she thought she was going to get. Amos was not a prophet by profession. He was a shepherd. 
But nevertheless, he was entrusted with bringing a message from the Lord to the northern kingdom of Israel. And you see, Israel had this perception of the day of the Lord that it meant rescue and salvation for them and judgment upon their enemies. But Amos had for the people of Israel a disappointing surprise. In Amos chapter 5 and verse 18, we read these words, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? And gloom with no brightness in it? You see, though they desired the day of the Lord and thought that it was going to mean judgment on their enemies and salvation for them, what he reveals to his people through the prophet Amos is that God's judgment and his ethics are a universal kind of a judgment, a universal justice. You see, this was a time during the history of both Judah and Israel when they were blessed with fairly stable governments. And as a result of these two factors being, being stable, both uh, Israel and Judah were experiencing a time of wealth and prosperity. They felt like they were on the upswing. Things were, were going well for them. And instead of... Possibly looking, beginning a new golden age for the people of Israel and Judah, it was Amos' unhappy task to tell them that judgment is coming. You may think that you desire the day of the Lord and that it means rescue for you and judgment for your enemies. But he came to share with them that God is no respecter of persons. That within just a few years, Israel would no longer exist as a nation. They would continue to exist only as a people scattered amongst the other nations surrounding them. The day of the Lord, far from being a day of blessing, was going to be a day of darkness. And by 722 B.C., Assyria would regain its strength and the Israelites would be conquered and exiled. You see, most people are all in favor of justice and judgment when they believe that they are on the right side of justice and judgment and their enemies or whoever, people that they don't like very much, they're, they're the ones that are going to get, the, you know, the hammer's going to fall and, and we tend to think, yeah, right on, you know, boy, they, they sure need to be straightened out. But then every now and then God comes along and reminds his people that God's justice is universal. We read in Amos chapter 8 verses 9 and 10, On that day declares the Lord, the day of the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. Say, Pastor, this is supposed to be a sermon about the joy of salvation. 
And here you are talking about judgment that comes with the day of the Lord. There's an interesting verse in the Psalms that talks about the pillars of God's throne. It's Psalm 89.14. If I can find it, Psalms 89.14. Reads this way, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. I don't know how many of you, many of you, I'm sure, have been in a position of needing to discipline a child that you love. And as a, as a loving parent or even a loving caregiver, there, there is mercy and grace inside your heart, and you do not want to cause this little one that you love to cause them pain. Yet you also understand that justice needs to be served, otherwise they will never learn or understand right and wrong and how to accurately live out right and wrong. This is essentially what this verse means, that God, it's, it's stating that God is in that same kind of a position. Uh, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. What does a God do who loves his children and wants to see them successful and blessed and happy, has mercy and grace for them, yet he is also a righteous God, a holy God? You see, the Lord is the creator of the universe. Therefore, his ethical norms, his justice is universal, and all people are subject to judgment in light of them. How can God remain just and at the same time be true to his character of loving kindness? A wonderful preacher that my dad used to have for revival meetings when I was a kid was also a wonderful poet, wrote amazing poetry, and I recently was able to acquire some of his writing. This is kind of lengthy, so bear with me, and hopefully you can follow along. But he has stated this case, uh, Psalm 89. This is, this is inspired by Psalm 89, 14. Grace cannot from truth be free, nor truth from right divided be. For grace and truth stand not alone as pillars neath God's timeless throne. For judgment too and justice stand, joined as one in love's demand. For what is grace, should justice fail? Or truth, if wrong against right prevail? Could hope endure with judgment fled? Or heaven's dream with justice dead? Should justice cease and judgment fail and sin in God's domain prevail? Then grace and truth were not at all, and God himself by sin would fall. If he were not by justice bound and in his heart could wrong be found, demoralized he too would be, condemned to death by sin's decree. His righteous throne by truth secure, with truth undone, could not endure. Were justice struck from neath his throne, then hell would reign, and hell alone. So grace and truth and mercy grand are only part of love's demand. 
Grace can but live while justice stands and judgment swift meets love's demands. For grace cannot God's law negate, nor truth, nor justice violate. What is a God, a holy God, who will not tolerate sin, but yet who has mercy and grace in abundance for his people? What does he do? Well, friends, let me tell you about the beginning of that day, the day of the Lord. Yes, as we read in Scripture, the judgment of fire and fury will certainly come. But the day, that day, the day of the Lord began. We read it ab- about it in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, where it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, friends, the day of the Lord first began when a baby was born and laid in a manger in Bethlehem. God spoke both to Mary and Joseph through the angel in Matthew chapter 1 and said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angels announced the wonderful news to the shepherds on the hillside. We read about it in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. You see, friends, the judgment of God upon sin was taken willingly into the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. That day began when he was born as a baby and laid in a manger in Bethlehem. He lived our life, the human experience, and then he took the judgment for sin upon himself and carried it to the cross where his hands and his feet were nailed and he shed his blood as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, for your sins and for mine. And so in truth, listen closely, I don't have this on the screen. And so in truth, God fashioned grace and pondered who would take man's place and who from heaven to earth would go and who in truth could love man so And could within all truth defined both justice serve and mercy find. No greater question could he ask and greater still would be the task. To judge man's sin and justice serve yet mercy grant and truth preserve. To thus extend redeeming grace there was but one to take man's place. So he who called the stars by name came naked into sin's domain. And the word by which was all begun clothed in flesh as God's own son dwelt on earth and walked with man to thus fulfill redemption's plan to poor become and a servant be that fallen man his love might see so he who came in Adam's stead had not where to lay his head a man of sorrows would he be to die alone on a cruel tree and there upon dark Calvary's hill forsaking all man's place would fill no greater love could ever be nor lesser gift could set man free Love decreed God give the best, and justice stern decreed the rest. 
Oh, what wondrous love, what matchless grace, that God's own Son should take man's place. T'was love that nailed him to the cross, that justice might not suffer loss, that fallen man might ransomed be. Judgment fell on Calvary. How wondrous by all truth defined, that love through grace should mercy find, except for which mankind would be lost through all eternity. Friends, the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Praise his name forever. Let's stand.